a trusted voice of truth and light. The narratives that mislead most of us aren't outright lies, they're the deliberate omission of facts that could give us a more complete picture. And a rally point for those who've accepted the reality that they are not sheep. The world needs your leadership, and the essence of leadership is using your influence wisely wherever you happen to be standing. This is The Brian Hyde Show. Hey, welcome to the show. Thank you for gathering with us to engage in wrong think. If it's your first time, I promise we'll be gentle. You'll probably have a smile on your face, though, when it's done. I'm joined by fellow wrong thinker Eric Peters from epautos.com. Eric, how are you today? I'm good. I thought we'd talk a little bit about the cases, the cases, the cases that, that the media isn't touting too much lately. Ooh, yeah, do tell. I, I did see that you had published an article on this. I've not had a chance to read the article yep. yet, but, um, yeah, tell me about the cases that, uh, that somehow have escaped the attention of the media. Well, it's really interesting. I came across some stats the other day, uh, the number of people who have died coincident to receiving the holy jab. Since December in the United States, it's been more than 3,000 people. And strangely, you're not hearing that being trumpeted from uh, every MSM media source, notwithstanding that that's a 9-11-esque number. And uh, they're not making these hysterical correlations as they have with regard to uh, people who test positive and the cases and the implication that everybody who's a positive taste is a, ca- a case is going to die, whereas we have substantial evidence of actually people dying coincident to taking this experimental vaccine, which indicates that there's a pretty serious risk. And if you run a little bit of numbers and look at this from a very variety of points of view, if you think about it, there's probably more risk for an otherwise healthy person uh, to take this jab than there is from the Wu flu. But, of course, they're not telling people that. And it's interesting. It, it, it sheds a light, I think, on what the true motives behind a lot of this are. Um, just give me your take, too, on I, I'm hearing from a number of different sources, and, and I'm probably experiencing confirmation bias because I really want to believe this, that the public is beginning to shake off the fear and starting to realize, you know what, we're okay we're not all dropping like flies, and it feels like the, the fear and the control is starting to ramp down, which I'm sure is scary to the political class. Do you see this as well? I do see it as well, and I think part of the explanation for that is this business of insisting, as Fauci has, that even people who have received the holy jab must continue to wear the holy rag. Yeah. And I think that's off-putting. I think a lot of people were willing to wear their face diapers, the holy rag, until the vaccine was available. And, you know, the, the, the carrot and the stick and the, and the carrot was, well, when, you, when the vaccine's available, you can finally take off your rag and you can, you can resume normal life again. And now uh, these fear peddlers, Fauci and the others, are telling people, no, you still have to be terrified. You still have to live in fear. You still have to wear your diaper. You still can't uh, go see your kid play baseball without wearing a diaper. You know, and, and it's enough. You know, they've, I think, gone a bit too far for a lot of people, and, and pushback is beginning to happen, and thank God for that. Yeah, well, I, every time that I see Fauci's smirking face and he's, well, we can't be sure, you know, how much we'll let you exercise your freedom. I just, I have to flip over and find something involving Florida, which uh, is like, okay, here's, a, here's folks who have just said, enough, we're going to live, and gee, who would have thought they're thriving? Sure. You remember you and I have been talking for months, and people who've been listening to us will probably recall um, my, um, my my advocacy 
for not wearing the rag just to show people that it's okay. You're not going to die. Look, there's somebody who's showing their face, and they're not doubling over and coughing up blood. Well, what we're seeing right now is an extrapolation of that principle uh, because states like Texas and states like Florida, I think also Mississippi, uh, have, have ended the kabuki, and the cases, the cases are actually going down, and it's very hard to cover that up. Um, even some liberals are finally saying enough is enough. I don't know if you caught the, uh, the, the video clip of Bill Maher, the comedian. Yes. And he's a real lefty. Yeah. But he's come out and said this is ridiculous. They're, they're terrifying people without cause. Um, the media is complicit in this, and people need to wake up. And, you know, and good for him. I, like, I, I mean, I, I will welcome uh, an honest liberal, and I think Maher sort of qualifies for that, at least on this issue. No, he, he definitely got it right. So I'm I'm curious. You had you make the case in your your article here about the cases, three thousand people. I yep. mean that's a nine eleven style number, and I'm I'm appreciative that yep. you use that that uh, that term because yeah. that's something that gets everybody's attention. And yep. yet the, the media is very silent on this, of people who died after they were vaccinated. Absolutely. And again, I think we should juxtapose that against the risk of this virus, which has been grotesquely. Uh, exaggerated for most people. Most people, meaning people who are generally healthy, they don't have any problems, they're not very elderly, uh, stand to recover from this on the order of 98 point something, 99.8 something percent. That's the CDC's own number. And most people aren't aware of that. And that's criminal. That is, uh, you know, that's incitement on the part of the media, on the part of Fauci and all these other people that are terrifying healthy people to take a significant risk to their health that may very well result in their death by injecting themselves with a substance that has not been tested on people that is experimental by definition whose long-term effects we cannot know. That is grotesquely irresponsible. And, you know, it's time for people to start to think about that and stop putting their own lives, the the lives of their kids, the lives of their parents and, and other people at risk because of people like Fauci. Well, I'm just glad to see that faith in government starting to be shaken. Maybe that sounds like an evil thing to say, but to me, it's it's a very happy thing to see. No, it's a very good thing. You know, the government is in the business of controlling people. It's in the business of taking your money and telling you what to do. Its motives are inherently suspect. I, I wrote a column a couple of weeks ago that got into this about the issue of, of government altruism. And it's this premise that, you know, politicians and bureaucrats are just looking out for us. They want to help us and preserve us. No, they don't. They want to preserve their power, their influence, their money. And how do they do that? They do that by terrifying people, creating and manufacturing problems, exaggerating problems, uh, and so on. Uh, And it's just the nature of the game. It's what they do. Government has one tool in its kit, and that is force. And it uses force in in the form of terror sometimes to scare people. We saw it after 9-11 when we were constantly being hectored about ululating Islamic terrorists under every bed. And how, for that reason, we have to spread our legs and let a government bureaucrat stick his hands in our underwear uh, and and feel our genitals uh, in in order to keep us safe. You know, it's it's disgusting. And the same sort of thing is being played out right now with regard to this woo-flu business. So here's a question that's been knocking around my head. I want to get your response to this. If the, if the, the fear factor of this crisis, the COVID crisis, is beginning to, to ebb, what's the next crisis we should be watching out for? Because I'm, I'm positive that the opportunists and the power seekers are looking mm-hmm. for something that can provide the leverage they need. Well, sadly, though I'm kind of a kook, I don't think I'm a psychopath, and so therefore I don't have the insight into the psychopathic mentality 
I wish I could come up with something along those lines. However, what I really worry about the most is that there are going to be massive repercussions from this vaccine and that a lot of people are going to end up having problems and getting sick and then ra- and that rather than place the blame where it belongs on the vaccine then they're going to come up with well it's a new variant the double you know the double down double threat whatever mutant strain is is responsible for it and then they're going to wheel that around and claim that see it's all these people who 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 ignored the science and didn't wear masks and didn't get their vaccines that are responsible that's that's one of the potentialities that i see coming down the pike possibly by fall It hey, Brian, you still there? Hello? Yeah, wasn't it just last week that uh, Fauci was, was on uh, television? Somebody asked him, how do you explain these lockdown states like Michigan mm-hmm. have the highest incidence of cases now and yep. places that are wide open don't? And his response was, well, that's because the people in Texas are still following the uh, lockdown guidelines, whereas the people in Michigan aren't. And I'm like, wow, yeah. to be that well, it's disconnected. It's, it's, well, it's whack-a-mole, and it's whack-a-mole that depends on people not using critical thinking skills, not uh, looking at the facts and drawing conclusions based on the facts, and instead just sort of mutely uh, staring before the TV screen and listening to whatever Fauci says and taking it as gospel. I often refer to this as a religious phenomenon, and that's what it is. Fauci is a kind of pope figure, and you know he issues his papal bulls, and his orthodox followers simply genuflect and say, yep, that's what we're going to do because that's their faith. Amazing. Well, uh, we've got about uh, 30 seconds before we have to go to break. Um, mm-hmm. Give me your best advice for people who want to stand firm. What's, what are some ways we can, we can not be part of the problem? Live normally. And to, to, regarding your point about things waning a little bit, test the waters. You know, these, these places that you've been unable to go to it, 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 without putting on a face rag, uh, see if you can, quote-unquote, get away with it now. Uh, try to show your face more often. And the more of us who do that, the, the easier it will be for people to show their faces generally and for normalcy to reassert itself. Yeah, I think this is, a, this is a time where I would like to see just how contagious small acts of courage turn out to yep. be. I have yep. a suspicion they're going to be at least as contagious, maybe even more contagious than COVID. Here's hoping. I hope so. All right, we'll take a quick break. Eric Peters from epautos.com is my guest. We'll be back right after these messages. This is The Brian Hyde Show. This is The Brian Hyde Show. And we are back. Eric Peters from epautos.com is my guest. By the way, I have to give credit here. Eric is the guy who really dropped the term wrong think into my consciousness. And Eric, I, I have you to thank for... My personal slogan, which is "Revel in Wrong Think," yeah. and, and I, well, I, I am happy to oblige. And I appreciate you getting with me once a week to to revel in wrong think, and I, I really appreciate your take on some of the various issues. Mm-hmm. Uh, you had an article recently, "Drive Fifty Five mm-hmm. and Less," and yeah. I have to admit, a little shiver went up my spine because, man, I don't miss the days of the fifty-five mile an hour speed limit one bit, and I don't think you do either. No, I don't, and there's a very decent chance that they're going to resurrect it. 
uh, via a change in uh, the regulatory UKZ. Uh, there is something called the 85th percentile rule, and this gets into traffic safety engineering stuff that is published by the Federal Highway Administration. And essentially what it says is that speed limits should not just be pulled out of a hat uh, by some bureaucrat somewhere, but should at least roughly correspond to what the general flow of traffic is. They do traffic surveys. And so let's say roughly 85% of the cars are traveling 65 or 70, well, an appropriate speed is about that, that same thing. In other words, it has to, has to jibe with the natural flow of traffic on the theory that most people aren't idiots or reckless and will generally drive at a reasonable speed, which is generally a true thing. So that was the standard, and it also was the basis for challenging these speed traps where in some small town on a road that was perfectly safe to drive 45 or 55 on, they'd put up a 25-mile-an-hour sign and have a cop 10, you know, 10, 20 yards down the road behind a bush with a radar gun, and, and this would result in 75% of that town's budget coming from these trumped-up traffic tickets. So it was a way to challenge that legally. Well, they want to get rid of the 85th percentile rule, you know, just take it out of the book entirely and leave it up to government bureaucrats to do whatever they want with regard to speed limits, which means that they're going to dumb them down again. They're going to just arbitrarily post these low speed limits in order to generate revenue because it's a great way to fleece people, isn't it? When, you know, you can, oh, yeah. you can basically ticket pretty much every car on the road for driving at a speed that's reasonable as it was back in the drive 55 days. Ah, uh, that's disappointing because, you know, yep. since especially out west here, where, when the speed limit went to 80 miles an hour, I mean, there were the predictable calls of, ah, it's going to be blood on the pavement and carnage everywhere. Sure. Um, but actually, crashes went down, and I think sure. that surprised a lot of people. Sure, it's the same kind of thing with the face diapers. They, they, they gin up this pretext that if you don't do what they say, there's going to be death and mayhem, and of course it's not true. Uh, it's just another excuse for them to, to fleece people. Uh, the highway thing, uh, the interstate highway system, which was designed back in the 50s, envisioned road speeds, average road speeds, around 75 miles an hour. So that's what the speed limits were back in the 60s. And then along came Nixon and Carter and the energy crisis, and they saw an opportunity uh, to, well, we're going to save gas, we're going to drop the speed limit down to 55 miles an hour, and that'll reduce our dependence on foreign oil. And that quickly morphed into a safety issue. And people all of a sudden found themselves being uh, pulled over by cops and given these expensive extortion notes called tickets for driving at speeds that were perfectly legal and perfectly safe previously. And that went on for 20 years, from roughly 1974 to about 1995, I think it was, before it finally got repealed and some degree of sanity returned, and now we have highway speed limits that, were, that are basically what they were back in the late 1960s, and I'm hoping we don't revert back to the 1970s because of this rule change. You know, I, I have to confess, Eric, you have been a bad influence on me, but in the right way. Um, I used to have a co-host, and when she joined me on the radio, um, she was the quintessential soccer mommy. You know, everything was for our safety and for our law and order, and speed limits are there to be obeyed, and you don't question that. And uh, I believe it was after reading one of your columns, I opined to her one day, hey, do you know that speeding drivers are actually the safer drivers out there? Yeah. Oh, man, she fought me tooth and nail. and um, you know, But I, I have never forgotten how you explained mm -hmm. why speeding drivers actually mm -hmm. tend to be more safe, and it's because they have sure. their head in the game. Absolutely. Yeah, it's, it's pretty commonsensical when you think about it, that if you drive at a speed that is numbingly slow for the road and for your ability and for your car, like 55 on a highway, you put the cruise control, yep. you'll be asleep behind the wheel after 10 minutes of that. 
uh, you know, and, and is that safe? Whereas when you're operating the car at a speed that requires you to be in the game, like you said, you tend to be aware of what's going on. The whole thing is facile. The whole thing is fatuous. Um, I pointed out the, the, as, as a comparison that in Germany, where they have unlimited speed autobahns, uh, their, their incidence of traffic accidents is less uh, than that on the uh, speed-limited American interstate system. So it's not the speed limits. It's got everything to do with driving ability rather than the speed limits. And that's an important take-home point. Yeah, my, I've, only, I've only had very limited experience driving on the Audubon, but I can tell you that uh, coming back home and, and experiencing the lack of attention and courtesy and, and just decisiveness on the part of drivers here mm-hmm. was a real wake-up call. And, yeah. gosh, it, it pains me to admit it, but uh, those folks on the Audubon in Germany, they, they were much easier to drive around and with than a lot of my, uh, my homegrown uh, compadres on the road. Yeah, when people are actually looking in their rearview mirror rather than at their phones, it, it tends to result in, in faster-moving and safer-moving traffic. Well, and I, I have to tell you, just as a postscript, um, Soccer Mommy, eventually, uh, she she has actually become a, a fire-breathing uh, defender of freedom. And, uh, you know, it, it just took a little bit of uh, exposure to... You know, a, a non wrong uh, think. Yeah, yeah, wrong, <laughs> wrong think made the difference. But I want you to know right. that was that was your influence rippling out. You know, through through the uh, population. Oh, that makes me rub my hands together like Doctor Evil. I'm very happy to hear that. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, yeah, I would not like to see the the speed limits come back down. I, I really don't want it to be turned into another revenue farming kind of thing. Yeah. Um, I've noticed license plate readers are becoming mm-hmm. really ubiquitous, and I guess because it just saves yeah. so much time. You know, it just tells sure. you, yeah, pull them over. Now pull them over. Right. Well, you know, that's the other aspect of this. Back in the 70s, they actually had to have a cop actually pull you over in order to give you that extortion note. Now they can do it automatically and electronically. Uh, you know, it's devilish. The Many new cars already have the technology embedded within them to permit constant, continuous, real-time, 24-7 monitoring of how fast you go. And the car also knows via the GPS what the speed limit is on the road. And if you drive faster... It's completely technically feasible for them to take note of that and perhaps automatically done you, you know, just immediately report you to your insurance mafia uh, or to the DMV or both and extract money from you that way. And this is going to not only make driving expensive for everybody, it's going to make it intolerable. I mean, who wants to drive under that regime? Ask a commercial trucker what it's like to drive today when everything that he does is constantly being monitored as if he had his mother-in-law in the back seat pecking at him with a ruler. Oh, yeah. I've, I've actually had uh, people who drive commercial vehicles for a living tell me, this is the closest you'll ever come to living as a criminal in society, meaning yep. that you know, DOT or the state police or whatever, they can pull you over and pretty much do whatever they want, search however they want, inspect however they want, carte blanche. Exactly. Exactly. And, you know, people need to be aware of this. It's not about safety. It's just like the wearing of the facial rag is not about keeping you healthy. Uh, The motives behind it are entirely different. Don't believe it. Investigate and come to the conclusion that you come to after having examined the facts rather than the superficial explanations that these politicians and bureaucrats like to give you. This is what I love about your take on life, Eric, and that is, hey, you're grown-ups. Act like it. Live like a free person. Let's. We've got about uh, sixty seconds here. Let's uh, take a moment. Tell tell our listeners about your website, how they can find it. Throw in a throw in a little love for your sponsors if you'd like. Well, sure. It's epautos.com. Pretty straightforward and easy to find. 
And uh, we've got a number of, of good uh, uh, advertisers, meaning that their products I can personally vouch for and endorse, including Valentine One radar detectors. Don't leave home without it like you wouldn't an American Express card back in the day. Right. Um, also, Amsoil lubricants, which I, again, personally use, and I wouldn't recommend if I did not use them myself. And finally, if you like to drive... Uh, uh, support the National Motorist Association. They're sort of the wrong thinkful version of AAA, which has become woke uh, and an enemy of everything having to do with the joy of, of driving. Okay, I will have links to Eric's website in the show notes, which you can find at thebrianhydeshow.com. Eric, great talking with you once again. You bet, Brian. Talk to you next week. This is The Brian Hyde Show. This is The Brian Hyde Show. All right, welcome back to the show. Thank you so much for being part of our growing audience of wrong thinkers. You know, you look around you and you look at the people who are engaged in wrong think. And it's crazy how seldom you're going to encounter the really wild-eyed ideologue. I guess that's because part of wrong thinking is learning to think clearly and independently, regardless of what's going on or what, uh, you know, what information source is blasting at you at the moment. And heavens knows we have a lot of different information sources coming at us at any given moment in time. One of the things that, uh, that I have found very useful over the last mm, roughly 20 years or so is uh, to delve into old books to strengthen my speaking or not my think my speaking my thinking skills and and this may seem kind of strange like okay really so uh, here's this weird trick that can make you smarter than aristotle well okay maybe not smarter than aristotle but when you expose yourself to what great minds have had to say even if those great minds were occasionally wrong it's amazing what you can pick up. You have a much better sense of, of how they thought, how they organized their thinking. And, and I'm not going to pretend, you know, thinking's really easy or easy. It's just the simplest thing in the world. Real thinking, serious contemplation is actually hard work. And this is why very few people like to do it. Most of us, and I'm going to put my own hand up here, me too, prefer the path of least resistance. And sometimes, you know, I would just prefer, could someone just tell me what this all means? Because, you know, I, there's hard work and ferreting out the information, vetting the information, corroborating what this source says versus what other sources say. Yeah, it takes work. But then it comes back to the idea of how important is it that you own your worldview? And in that case, uh, you know, the, the onus is on us to be better thinkers, better equipped to sort fact from fiction. Now, people are scared by classics like, and I'm going to use Aristotle because the article I'm about to share with you talks about Arist Aristotle specifically. If you haven't read Socrates, if you haven't read his student Aristotle, I can tell you the first time you pick up one of their volumes of work and you start to read, first of all, you know, if you're reading in the great books, you're like, holy cow, there's a lot of, lot of words there, small font, you know, pages are absolutely filled, no illustrations to speak of, it's all deciphering what did they mean and, and, and some very, very brilliant minds. It's hard work. I've literally got headaches from, from reading some of these old books, but there's something that happens when you 
look at their ideas. And when you evaluate their ideas and you recognize, hey, they were wrong about this, even though they may have been the most brilliant mind on earth at that time. Let me give you an example. Grayson Quay has a great piece on intellectualtakeout.org. Do men have more teeth? Now, if you've, you know, studied anything about dentistry, you probably know the answer to this. But his point is Aristotle was wrong. You could be too. So he starts with the question, do men have more teeth than women? The actual answer is no. Both men and women have 28 to 32 teeth, depending on how many wisdom teeth grow in. But if you're 4th century BC Greek philosopher Aristotle, the answer is a resounding of course. Here's a quote from his History of Animals. Males have more teeth than females in the case of men, sheep, goats, and swine. In the case of other animals, observations have not yet been made. Now, he doesn't mention who made the observation in the case of humans, but whoever it was, well, he didn't do a very good job. Still, Aristotle was so sure this was correct that he wrote it in a book without bothering to check for himself. And he did this because, as 20th century philosopher Bertrand Russell pointed out about Aristotle, although he was twice married, it never occurred to him to verify the statement by examining his wives' mouths. Sure, it might be a little awkward to tell the missus to come over here and say, ah, but if the philosopher had taken a minute or two to do so, followed by another minute or two for her to count his teeth, well, he'd have been spared this embarrassing mistake. So, what's the takeaway here? Well, Grayson Quay says it's not that Aristotle was stupid. He was probably one of the smartest people who ever lived. For well over a thousand years, his works on biology, physics, metaphysics, poetry, politics, ethics, logic, and rhetoric were considered authoritative in their respective fields. Many of these works are still studied today and not just as historical curiosities. In his book, Amusing Ourselves to Death, Neil Postman explains how a brilliant thinker like Aristotle could make such a seemingly foolish error. He says, To the Greeks of Aristotle's time and for 2,000 years afterward, scientific truth was best discovered and expressed by deducing the nature of things from a set of self-evident premises. Now, Aristotle, like all 4th century B.C. Greeks, thought of women as defective men. Male sperm, he wrote, always tried to produce a male baby. Only in cases when the sperm somehow fell short would a girl be born. Oh, that would go over well with today's woke crowd, I'll tell you what. With this in mind, it makes sense Aristotle wouldn't bother taking a gander at Mrs. Aristotle's pearly whites. Knowledge came from deduction, not from observation. If women were deficient in other areas, then it made logical sense for them to be deficient in tooth count, too. But Grayson Quay says, again, there's a risk of drawing the wrong conclusion. The lesson here is not that the ancient Greeks were stupid and sexist compared to us enlightened moderns. It's simply that even the most brilliant thinkers can have huge blind spots due to assumptions they've unconsciously absorbed from their surrounding culture. That's the key. And if somebody as smart as Aristotle has blind spots, guess what? We probably do as well. Grayson Quay says, I'm no Aristotle, and you, dear reader, probably aren't either. It'd be wise for us to stay humble and accept that many of the truths we hold to be self-evident are nothing of the kind. For example, Black Lives Matter is a statement that most modern people, whatever their disagreements with the BLM organization itself may be, would see as obviously true. But the ideas underlying that claim that every human life is equally precious, that the poor and downtrodden have a special claim on our sympathy and support, that racial intolerance is evil would have baffled Aristotle. That's because he took it as a given that the people who made up the lower classes were inferior by nature and fit only for slavery. He considered non-Greeks to be barbarians. 
because to Greek ears, their language sounded like harsh gibberish. Bar, 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 bar. So today we condemn these ideas, but it's important to remember that someday we'll be the ones in the crosshairs. Many practices and ways of thinking that today seem perfectly natural to us would have been seen as absurd or monstrous a thousand years ago. And they might well be seen the same way a thousand years from now. Now, you may well ask, well, which ones? Well, perhaps it'll be our obsession with screens or our sexual mores. Maybe it'll be our faith in democracy, our deference to science, or our individualistic approach to religion and spirituality. It's hard to say. It's like asking a fish to talk about water. He says, when I was a high school teacher, my students often complained about the classical curriculum. Why do we have to learn this stuff? Who cares how many wives Henry VIII cheated on? When are we ever going to use this? And his answer was always the same. Why would you only want to learn things that are useful? Useful to whom? Useful knowledge, by his students' definition, would be knowledge that was directly applicable in the cultural, political, and economic conditions of 21st century America. To refuse to learn anything that isn't useful is to agree to only know what the powers that be want you to know. Did you get that? If you want to think outside the box, it starts with thinking outside your current time period. Grayson Quay says, such an education makes one a cog in a machine. If you only know what the powers that want uh, the powers that be want you to know, Aristotle distinguished between useful fields of study in which his opinion were only fit for slave, for slaves rather, and the liberal arts which made those around them who study or made those who studied them rather into free men capable of questioning the assumptions that governed the world around them. I've always liked the word liber because that explains that that is the root of liberty, the root of library. Liber refers to the person who is capable of thinking and acting for themselves, engaging in commerce, engaging in contract, reasoning, measuring, problem-solving. And it covers a very wide variety of topics. It's not just, you know, I read old books. I mean, it's, it's being able to understand, you know, rhetoric as well as geometry and so forth. Grayson Quay says, I don't share the philosopher's contempt for productive labor, but he's absolutely right about the second point. As Aristotle's misadventure in dentistry illustrates, getting beyond certain assumptions will always be a struggle. And that's true even for the smartest among us, but that doesn't mean we should give up. By reading old, supposedly useless books, we can start to cultivate gratitude for the good things we've gained over the centuries, sorrow for the good things we've lost, and wisdom to look beyond what is to what was and what could be. What a brilliant defense of a classical liberal arts education. Here's the best part, though. You don't have to drop what you're doing and go sit in a university classroom and have some expert teach you all about it. It's something you could actually undertake in the privacy of your own home, sitting at your kitchen table, sitting on your couch, sitting in your easy chair, doing it on your own time at your own pace. Just like exercise, even a little bit done consistently, builds your capacity to do more and to understand more. That is the great secret I wish more people understood about old books. Yes, they look good, and they are leather-bound, and they are very impressive to everybody who comes to visit. But if you don't actually crack them open and look at what's inside and contemplate it, you're missing out on one of the great treasures. And, as Fat Albert would say, you might just learn something in the process. This 
is The Brian Hyde Show. This is The Brian Hyde Show. All right, welcome back to the show. A quick shout-out to our sponsors, including Monticello College. By the way, if you liked the, the Grayson Quay piece I shared in the last segment on uh, reading old books, particularly Aristotle, Monticello College is something you should really take a look at because they are all about classical liberal arts education. Also, very grateful to Pure Light. These are the LED light bulbs that are revolutionizing light bulbs. They're making all other light bulbs obsolete. Go to pure-light.com. I've got a link in the show notes at thebrianhydeshow.com. Also want to give a shout-out to our friend uh, Spencer Worthington, who is the owner and founder of hslammo.com. I, we're gonna books are gonna be written someday on the the great ammo shortage of 2020 and 2021 because uh, I I never thought that I would see the day where you know people joked around about well you know the other precious metals besides gold and silver are lead copper and brass but you know what I'm actually starting to see such a scarcity and such a demand for those things that I think a person sitting there with you know a a pallet of ammunition sitting in their shed. Might as well have, you know, a nice big bag of gold coins because they're that valuable at this point. All right, moving on. What's playing out in, in Minnesota as the jury deliberates in the trial of former police officer Derek Chauvin is really not the nail biter that the news media is trying to make it out to be. I mean, it's, oh, we're very interested. We want to see what's going to happen. Oh, what's the verdict going to be? And And I don't mean to sound cynical, but... There, there's a, I'm detecting this note of, I wonder if it's going to be even worse than Rodney King's riots back in, in uh, you know, 1992. There seems to be an almost eagerness to see this thing fall apart like a soup sandwich. Saw an excellent article earlier today from James Howard Kunzler, and it, it talks about how the movie follows the script. And right now, it feels like there's some pretty scripted stuff taking place um, on on behalf of uh, this this trial. And I'm not talking about what the the jurors are doing so much as the other players. Here, let me let me explain. James Howard Kunstler says uh, Representative Maxine Waters laid it out neatly Friday night on a visit to Minneapolis, where she apparently went to stir a pot of racial hatred that was already on boil without her help following the accidental killing of felonious bail jumper Dante Wright, first-degree aggravated robbery, uh, fleeing from police, possession of a handgun without a permit. She yelled at the mob gathered at the suburb of, in the suburb of Brooklyn Center, we got to stay on the street. Got to get more confrontational. Yes, <laughs> that's exactly what the sore beset city needs as it uh, waits this week's verdict in the trial of Derek Chauvin, about which she added, I am very hopeful that we will get a verdict that says guilty, guilty, guilty. If we do not, we will not go away. I know, it's, it's pretty exciting to think what, what may be coming there. Now, former police officer Chauvin is charged with murder two, murder three, and manslaughter, all predicated on varying degrees of intention and recklessness in the death of George Floyd, the internationally acclaimed saint of oppressed people who died under, the, under Chauvin's knee in an indelible video shared around the world last May. That video has the status of a religious icon, portraying it as it seems to the world, the vivid distillation of the black experience in America, pure, unalloyed, hateful, murderous subjugation. But the trouble is not what's in the indelible picture. 
I'm sorry, the trouble is what's not in the indelible picture. Mr. Floyd's prodigious ingestion of the world's hardest narcotic, fentanyl, at a level likely to cause death, plus methadrine, plus THC, on top of a 90% blockage of a coronary artery and other cardiopathies, and COVID-19, all according to the official medical examiner. Also, as it happened in the instance of his arrest, Mr. Floyd was failing to follow police instructions, acting dangerously deranged. That's behavior apt to lead to police restraint, under which he died, rest his soul. So now it will be left to the jury to sort all this out. Under the threat, of course, of getting doxxed, having their home addresses disclosed by the Black Lives Matter org, um, as well as following the $27 million lawsuit settlement on the Floyd family for wrongful death by the Minneapolis City Council before the trial commenced. Not exactly a propitious lead-in for a fair outcome. One might even consider the public expressions of black opinion leaders and politicians as coercive. But then coercion is the animating spirit of liberal wokery, the wish and will to punish at all costs. And oh, look at this. Hey, you know what Minneapolis also really needed right now is the calming influence of Al Sharpton swooping into town on his private jet. So even the unelected folks are, are trying to get in on this action. Hey, there's a lot of TV cameras. I mean, you know, if you were looking to draw attention to yourself, uh, you could do a lot worse. It's like finding a parade and jumping in front of it and starting to march. James Howard Kunstler says, in any case, the fine spring weather around the country invites the young and energetic to caper angrily in the streets after a harsh winter of lockdowns. The mobs will turn out, things will burn, businesses will get looted and destroyed, and people will get hurt. So it will be for two reasons. People of, groups of people rather follow social scripts and societies give tacit permission for acting out of feelings. In this case, feelings of grievance that demand retribution and vengeance. But he says what's actually at issue here is whether black people in America really want to join with the other ethnic groups present in the land of a common national culture. That is a consensus about behaviors, ceremonies, and manners. Or would rather opt out of it, oppose it, or violently destroy what's left of it. The key to these questions is how to explain the failure to thrive of a large black demographic despite the apparent victories of a long civil rights campaign, colossal expenditures of tax money for assistance, and affirmative action galore. He says, I would explain it as the malign influence of neurotic white liberalism acting on the aforesaid black ambivalence about joining in or remaining apart from that common culture. Now, Kunstler says the upshot for now is that white liberalism has given black America permission to act violently and destructively, to disobey the law, to oppose officers attempting to enforce the law, and to justify the whole package of uncivil behavior on the grounds that systemic racism and white supremacy are the forces that keep black Americans from thriving. And he says the script for all of this prevails because liberalism cannot otherwise explain its own failure to uplift black America over many years of sedulous striving. They're left disappointed, ashamed, and guilty, and neurotically give themselves permission to support black hostility and hatred against white people as a form of self-punishment. The catch is that not all white people in America are neurotic liberals, and they are not in favor of continuing white self-punishment. So James Howard Kunstler says the question at hand is how much longer this crazy script will be allowed to run. It appears that the country is about evenly split between those in favor of promoting black hostility and those disinclined to further submission. 
It's up to American political leadership to decide. And for now, the, li- the liberals are the party holding the levers of power. Government, in essence, representing the blunt force that determines which way things go. And at the head of this government sits the inert and tractable Joe Biden, who seems to have had it decided for him. I hope that doesn't strike you as overly partisan or harsh. But just looking at this from, from the standpoint of the information that is being broadcast to the public, the, the, the line that the media is taking, there's a very definite script that's being followed. And it's not just happening in the case of, you know, Derek Chauvin's trial. It's happening any time there is a police shooting now. Oh, heaven help you. If the, if, the, if the person who gets shot is a person of color, there is going to be wild speculation about how racism is to blame. If it's a white person who's shot, and by the way, it happens a lot. Crickets. I'm not telling you that you can't be concerned or even be supportive of Black Lives Matters. I just, I think that uh, this is the time to be especially careful of the script that is being followed by the narrative makers and managers. Because where they are leading us is not a good place. They, they're, we're being steered into conflict. And it's hard not to, to become caught up in it. You know, when I, I, I have to really limit myself as to, to how many videos I can watch of Antifa doing their thing. Because it's infuriating. Watch them abuse people who are out there not to cause trouble. I'm not talking about the Proud Boys who show up to, you know, brawl with them. I'm just talking about the way they go out of their way to destroy people's property, to harass people, to block traffic, and then insist the police arrest the motorist when they get angry because they're being held captive. That brings some really primal rage to the surface in my heart, and I don't like it because I feel like it's contrived. I don't want somebody pulling my strings, and I hope that that's the mindset you adopt too, is I'm, I'm not a piece to be played on your chessboard. And for those who insist on thinking, well, that's too bad because I'm going to play you, all I can say is good luck. Because my goal today, as with every day, is to make myself as unplayable a piece as possible. By the way, if you if you feel uneasy about to putting yourself in that same situation, that's normal. I can only tell you freedom lies this way. That's that's where you're going to find it. You will not get it by going along with the crowd. This is the Brian Hyde show.